My next guest, James Superman Dixon, is a mentor, public speaker, fitness expert, and patient emissary. James, an RBK, has spent his lifetime as an amputee and proves that community and your faith can empower you to do anything. James can be seen all over the internet, providing content that all amputees can benefit from. It is my pleasure to introduce Mr. James Dixon. Hey, James, good to see you, my man. How's it going? I'm excited to be here, brother. I'm doing well. How are you? Well, uh, the first thing I notice, and our uh, our viewers are going to notice, is that you're sitting in a car right now. Am I correct, or is this just a figment of my imagination? This is figment of imagination. That doesn't happen. No, I'm actually, <laughs> I just walked outside of a, a brand-new amputee situation, and so I'm sitting in my car. I did not want to miss this opportunity with you. It's once in a lifetime, and I'm amped up to be here. Well, I love I love the amped up phrase right at the end of that statement. I really appreciate that. You know, James, this is something that I will say I admire very much about you. And that given that we've scheduled an interview, given that you're getting your message out to as many people as possible, and still being able to, let's call it, prioritize a new amputee and somehow spin many plates, jump in your car, and have a conversation with me today. So my hat's very much off to you, sir. There is a reason they call you Superman, and we've just landed on one of those reasons. Um, the, the first thing I want to ask you is, can you tell me what being an emissary is all about? Can you describe that for the audience? Well, it's, it's unique. When I looked at the uh, idea of serving people, um, I wanted to look at uh, not being a liaison, not an advocate, not just going in and encouraging people, but truly be an emissary, which means to be an ambassador for them, to bring encouragement, to bring hope, but to also fight for them, regardless of wherever they went for prosthetic care, I wanted to be that advocate, to step in whenever, wherever, no boss. It's kind of like the Jordan rule. No matter who I have a relationship with, uh, the contract, remember Michael Jordan was allowed to play basketball for the love of the game anywhere, anytime. And for me, no matter who I work with, if it's an amputee, I have the right to help them stay wherever they want to go. Uh, it's I am an emissary that works anywhere, anytime. There are no rules, restrictions for me as far as relationships go. The amputee is what matters. No, that's wonderful. And would you consider yourself to have been uh, a spiritual person uh, most of your life? I would say I became a spiritual person because of my grandmother. So at age 11, uh, when I had the amputation, uh, her uh, put in place in faith that I am more than my amputation. I am not limited. I'm not bound by it. I can be more than what the sum of my parts. So I would say, yes, I am most of my life, but beginning at age 11. Yeah, I know that your relationship with your grandmother is quite special from, from what I've read. 
and what I've listened to in some of your many interviews and video blogs, it would seem that she played a pretty critical role, not only in your development as a human being, but also in your journey as an amputee. When you were, you know, a young man becoming an amputee at 11 years old, that to me is quite fascinating. And I do, I do develop a healthy curiosity about people like yourself. Being an amputee for six years, you know, my journey is relatively new, let's say. It's, I'm, I'm really not a veteran of, of this space. I, most of my lifetime I know as having all my limbs. So when I do meet someone like yourself that has spent the better part of four decades, you know, I don't want to reveal your age too much here, um, but you've spent most of your life on this very, very, let's call it uh, precarious sort of situation that we all face in this amputee community. So when you became an amputee at such a young age, can you describe for the audience what some of that experience was like, given that you're in the midst of your childhood? Now, I know you had a number of surgeries, actually many, many, many surgeries leading up to your amputation due to some circulatory issues, but becoming officially an amputee at 11, what does that look like for you? And what can you remember about that time in your life? Rick, I, I really appreciate you setting that up for me. I'll share it this way. I didn't know I was going to become an amputee. I had been uh, grown accustomed to um, being in, on a, using a walker and having uh, restrictions, much like an above-the-knee would. Mm -hmm. uh, all my life, I had never taken a step without a walker um, at a, by the time I was 11. There was... There was told to be that uh, to my family that this was it for me. I would always be limited. A uh, wheelchair would be the only other option outside of a walker. Then next door neighbor happened to work be a Shriner, so you know, sitting on the porch and asked my grandmother about the crippled boy. He said, "The crippled boy there. Uh, I'd like to help him." And told her about the Shriners, and the Shriners took me from Indiana, Indiana to Chicago. I thought I was there for a visit. My mom and dad came together with me and the first time they had been reunited. Um, they gave me a tour and then said goodbye to me. I thought it was just another surgery. Um, when I woke up, my leg was gone. I had no idea. And there was no family support around me. They were back in Indiana and, and on their way back. To, but I had woke up and my leg was just gone. Had I known it, I would and if I, I didn't want that to happen, I was just fearful. I had two kids on the side of me, Rick, one side, one kid named Matt, the other named Gilbert. The kid named Matthew passed away hmm. um, my second day at the Shriners. Wow. The kid named Gilbert, his mother walked in. He was from Cabrini Green Apartments, uh, the projects there in Chicago, and gotten paralyzed, neck down. She walked in and she said, Gil, I can't do it anymore. Um, it's too much for me. And she signed over her parental rights and abandoned it. Wow. So I thought that that's what was happening with me. When my mom walked in, I had been freaking out because I thought I was gone. Either I was going to die or be abandoned. 
Um, so I was, my behavior wasn't probably the best at that moment. A nurse was trying to console me and saying, James, you can be anything, do anything. My mother, though, had uh, was young and had never met an amputee in her life and really didn't know about limb differential. And my mom walks over and she just was like, um, she said, son, you're going to be a cripple all your life. Do you understand that? And I was like, the nurse had told me I can do anything. And she said, she's giving you false hope. Do you understand that you're a cripple? And I was like, but I don't want to be a cripple. So my mother slapped me and said, say that you're a cripple. And I hesitated. She slapped me again. She said, I said, say you're a cripple. Hmm. And I said it. And brother, those words, man, they were hard. They were rough on me. She thought she was giving me a dose of reality, but brother, that nearly broke me. And so everything that I strove to do after that moment was to prove that I was not that crippled kid. You know, that word, uh, cripple. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's heavy, man. Um, that word for me, because I think you and myself were, were pretty, pretty close generationally. That word has such a massive mm-hmm. negative connotation to it. I believe the word cripple is essentially you're telling someone it's over, that there is really nothing redeeming about you. There right. is nothing redeeming about your life. And I, I, I think you have a very evolved perspective in that you see your mother as someone who's trying to help you understand the reality of what's going on. And probably back, I would assume when you were 11 years old, prosthetics, uh, practitioners, the Mm -hmm. world of adaptive sports, these things were somewhat rare. They they were not in in the foreground as they have become now. Through the efforts of people like yourself, through the efforts of uh, para-athletes, Paralympics, uh, certain marketing campaigns, amputees have, let's say, have risen. They have risen like the phoenix. And so often, the thing I find very inspiring and that I find about your story in particular is we be, have become very much a demonstration of strength, a demonstration of worth, a demonstration of like your like your nurse indicated, anything is possible. You can do anything. And I, I I think it's a very healthy sort of story in that you're thinking, this was a moment that was very life-changing for me. It was something that I understood the delivery system that my mother was employing, but it also, in some way, you have actually turn that into a positive in your life to recognize that maybe that moment was ground zero and now, yes. and now it was time to start rising. So the question I want to ask you just in relation to that particular moment is what would be the advice that James Dixon would give to a very, very young, let's say 10, 11-year-old 
brand new amputee? What would be, what would be the wisdom that you would impart on that on that individual? Well, this is something that happens quite often for me, and so what I've done is I begin with them this way. I share with I first walk up and I demonstrate things that I do. Then I share with them, show them I'm an amputee. I'm able to walk, run, and move without any indication that I'm an amputee. I have uh, learned to master the my gait because I've worked so long at it. I've developed it. It was important for me to transition. That. So when I come in, um, they don't know that I'm an amputee. And then if they're, let's say the kid is lifted, sitting in a wheelchair, you know, I'll, I'll come down to his level. I would show them my prosthetic. I'll show them, um, you know, the residual limb, and I'll walk them through, and I tell them that, that nothing is impossible for them. And I share because of the awe and seeing me do things. I tell them I'm just the preview. The full movie of life of something that's possible is you. You're the real hero. And I tell them that I have, all I've done is work to make sure that I can introduce them to the world. And one day, they will, the world will know their name. And they will encourage other kids. But I'm just a preview. They're the full movie. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a great analogy. And wouldn't you say that one of the things that is so rewarding about becoming an amputee is the energy that you can share in this community and how we, we truly inspire each other. Uh, right. You know, very, very often I will, I will meet amputees that are in a very difficult place. Maybe they're, you know, just, you know, brand new post-op like the individual you're, you're visiting today. Or let's say they've just remained in a space where they're not progressing. Let's say right. they're they're just sort of stuck. They'll say things like, you know, I have I I haven't walked in 10 years, things like that. And I always say that that struggle is beautiful, that there's a beauty in that struggle. And this is this is not this is not your final resting place. This That's is right. the, this is the beginning of something greater and something that you are going to look back on and say, look how far I've come. And I think people like yourself, people like uh, your your partner in crime, Cam Ayala, um, yeah. are doing some fantastic things. You know, I had the, the distinct pleasure of speaking with Cam, uh, I, I want to say it was maybe uh, a month ago, and... Um. He's a remarkable individual uh, at the time was, you know, just a, a brand new baby bird amputee, um, you know, right, right out of surgery. And, you know, I've seen some of what's going on with him recently, and it's phenomenal. It would seem to me that the two of you joining forces is just... Um, you know, it's 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 like the classic, you know, Batman and Robin. I mean, it's 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 a perfect sort of combination. And how did you guys meet exactly? How did how did all of that come together? I'm interested in that. Well, uh, as you know, Cam is is a, a horrible looking individual. <laughs> <laughs> so he needed no, I. So I, he needed I, I, he needed some Hollywood looks next to him. <laughs> look better. Well, uh, so here's what happened: um, an upper arm um, 
rep for Ulster, uh, and Susie had been watching my journey and connected with me, had seen me. I've traveled the nation working with amputees. That's just what I do. I left full time. This is what I do. Um, and she saw that she's, she watches uh, The Bachelorette and Bachelor uh, Nation, if they call it. Yeah. And uh, Cam was uh, about to go into surgery. She wrote him and said, I know someone you need to talk to. Cam had been, I mean, he's very, very uh, astute. He does a lot of research, talking to above-the-knee amputees prior to his surgery. But there was a unique perspective that I could give and unique help that I could bring to the table. And so they connected us together, and I began, began to mentor him, um, preparing him for uh, going through rehab and working with him about dealing with the phantom pains. I even had him go and go meet uh, five above-the-knee amputees who wore different types of limbs. And so he got a chance to see what the real knee, the sea leg, the power knee. He got to see all those things in place yeah. and meet the uh, people in person. And then walk him through the process of looking at a prosthesis. Didn't matter where he went. But I wanted him to go to someone that he could share his vision and they could be with him long enough to walk him through years of his life hand in hand. And, and so if a process says they're going to retire in a year or two years, it's not the one for you. You need someone who's going to be there beyond the first cycle. It's not about getting people paid. It's about making sure that they get you back to your life. Yeah. So I flew into uh, Houston to meet uh, Cam, took him to a, a CAF event where he could observe. Now, he was just two weeks after his uh, amputation, and he's in a lot of pain. Yeah. Um, but I wanted him to see what he could be. Because if I gave him a preview, I know it would create a hunger in him. Um, so I started working on uh, um, on some, I work with a lot of uh, 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 celebrity people. And one of them was creating a new program that they did, had kind of mastered with Chris Hornsworth for. And um, and I was like, man, I, I want something for adaptive people. And so we were working on that and thought Cam would be a great person to help rebuild his physique and do it in a safe way that was designed for amputees. Um, and so started working with him, took him to see that. And it was amazing to see Cam run for the first time in seven years last yeah. weekend. Yeah, I saw and the I saw the video. By the way, I was a for him. This is three months after losing his leg. It's incredible. He should be using a cane by now, right? But because of his determination and us carefully crafting the moments and how he was put together, programming the leg right there on the spot, having people in a safe environment mm -hmm. work, and then as we shared our stories. Him and with lymphedema at age 11, me at the amputation at age 11, we're different generations, but above and below and being able to speak with some commonalities of faith and shared as well, we could touch and talk on a lot of different points, you know, and it just really, it really helps and, uh, to touch lives. You know? you know, and this endeavor above and below which is really just getting uh, started up here, and of of course I'm I'm checking out every episode. Um, you know, uh, absorbing your your special brand of wisdom, 
and also his his sort of excitement and and newness, you know, about the amputee community. And I do believe that you guys are really on to something. What what do you think uh, the future holds in in regards to that particular channel? And and what are you looking to accomplish together? Wow, this is going to be great. We have so many things that are coming. Um, I have an expanding role that's going to take place throughout um, America in 2023. So there's going to be a big push. And for many people, it look like, hey, look who just got uh, discovered, if you will. Yeah. But there are things that, you know, nothing happens overnight. You work for many nights. And then it, uh, but I'm going to use some of the new platforms that are availing to me to bring even more people to that platform. I want to use it as a, a conduit. doesn't matter where you go. That's why we don't push any particular products or services or company or manufacturers. This is really about amputees. The above and below um, will kind of be a conduit to just give information and encouragement. Um, but we do see it. Uh, there will be uh, Roku and there will be uh, shows every documentary there's a lot of things that we're working on um because there's one documentary being done on cam and there's one being done on me and so we're going to do some things blended together really try to use it neither one of us care about fame or acceptance this is about sharing something i rick and you can understand this this is my legacy four years ago i wasn't even vocal about being an amputee i hid it until i, I was the first time I even admitted that I was an amputee. I wore shorts for the first time at 44. By the time I was 45, I was traveling the nation speaking. Now it's only been bigger and more. You know, I have a hundred and well, 1.4 million that follow my YouTube channel. And this is about impacting lives. That's all I care about. And what do you what do you think? Because that was certainly on the list of questions and curiosities that I have about you. When you say, I hid away my amputation. I spent the majority of my adult life working in various industries, and you were still a high-functioning person. I mean, you weren't necessarily struggling at, at, in, in terms of your, you know, your ability to be productive, but showing that you were an amputee what was the turning point? What was the moment where you said, you know what? The world needs to know who I am. The world the world needs to know the real me. I, um, the turning point for me was the insurance started carrying, uh, took care of existing amputees. Uh, like when I first hired in, in General Motors, I could not get a prosthetic through the insurance. Hmm. It took almost 11 years. Um, but the, the rules changed. They got a new contract that would allow me to. And when I got the new prosthetic, it was the first time that I had an upgraded leg. I used my prosthesis. I, I didn't know I didn't have a good one. He gave me a satch foot. And if those who don't know what that is, it, it's basically a mannequin leg. So it's more for aesthetics just to have one. Right. I played college basketball in that league. Mm -hmm. I was so limited with what the league could do. I just thought being an amputee was just hard. You just had to overcome it. And so to get a responsive leg that could give energy back and um, 
two days after I got the leg, um, I was like, I want to try some things that I never tried before because this is the the technology. It finally caught up with my abilities, I felt. Yep. Um, so I decided uh, at work, I'm going to wear shorts for the first time in my life. And I also, um, you know, had to evict the voice of my father telling me to cover that up. Nobody wants to see that. I had to evict all the rejection being in the inner city where kids fault me about being an amputee rather than give you acceptance or love, um, mocked you. And so all of these shaming moments, bullying moments I experienced caused me to become more reclusive about it. My aha moment was I decided I'm no longer hiding. And, uh, and if anyone uh, mocks me now, I was like, I'm going to respond in a negative way. I was, uh, you know, being 6'4", 270, my <laughs> mindset was going to go away. I wasn't going to put up with any more bully. Um, so, but to my surprise, the people I work with all wore shorts with me. And it meant a lot to me. And when they did that to me, for me, um, it opened me up. It, I mean, I, I was crying at work. And I don't, I, not much moves me other than humans, that uh, human story of overcoming. But oh, I absolutely. Was, no, absolutely. I, and the and the technology piece that you're speaking of, how, you know, what you said is so powerful about the technology had finally caught up to my abilities. And I've spoken to what I refer to as lifers, like yourself, that will speak of the satch foot and some of the primitive, archaic. Uh, I've I've spoken to amputees that said they had to duct tape their prosthesis together because yeah, yeah, yeah. They're 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 literally cobbling together their their prosthesis because they either don't have the money to get it, you know, to get it tweaked or adjusted, um, or it's just out of necessity. I have to go to work today and I don't have time to go to the clinic. I have to get through the day somehow. And it's it's really remarkable to me that we've sort of taken this this huge leap forward, and I consider myself very very lucky. I, I just recently went to a um, uh, a prosthesis. I want to say somewhat similar to yours, a single strut design, and oh, yeah. and I can tell you it's it's really been a game changer for me in terms of mobility. And you're right, because once you get into a prosthesis that feels right and gives you that confidence, you start looking around going, what can I do next? What else can I do? Maybe I can go on a five-hour hike today. Maybe there's something that I've been holding back from because I was lacking the confidence and the comfort that required me to do it. And all of those technologies are so critical. And I'm hoping that as we move forward in this as a community, that we will be able to make these things more available and more accessible for some of us who don't have the resources or the connections or you know, the, the, the right insurance or, you know, the right practitioners in place. Because 
there there really is some struggle there for a lot of folks and i know i know there's this tendency to sort of give up and we have to encourage those people and and hope that we can point them in the right direction because there are resources out there there are people that care and hopefully we can get everyone up on their feet and doing the things that they love on a daily basis I really appreciate so much of what you've had to say, James, and I think it's really important for our audience to see firsthand what it is you're doing out in the amputee community. We're going to present some of the video and some of the images that uh, will probably inspire you with what James Dixon is doing out in the amputee community. So let it roll. When it comes to losing a limb, man, there's nothing that can quite connect you to that level of loss because this can be a loss of yourself people can reject you you have these fears will i ever be loved will anybody accept me will i feel all right in front of the one i love naked all of those things creep into your mind but what you do end up reigning is realizing that not only am i unique now but now i have a testimony now i have a story now i'm i've got proof that i've overcome something and when you overcome something you become something Oftentimes, people ask, how is it that I'm able to drive? Well, I've gotten accustomed to because of the improvement of the prosthetics, being able to feel no hand controls needed. I'm able to feel the pressure that I'm applying to the pedal. For me, I get to thinking about the idea of taking amputees that have never walked or fearful about taking that first step and seeing them stand up there is just something very powerful about that first step. If I realized that all my steps were ordered, that this was a gift to me and not a curse, because it had allowed me in all my years to go through so many transitions and overcome so many adversities, that I'm able to pour all of that passion. I can identify with anyone's pain. This is absolutely what I was born for. My calling was to build people Most legs are made, the 325 is the maximum. But because of SRT and with ultra technology, I'm able to go well beyond that. The reason why I work out and the reason why I encourage every person that suffers limb loss to is because atrophy will kick into our bodies. And I never want us to return back to the wheelchair. And so working out is so that we're stronger, not for today, but for the days when weakness tries to creep into our bodies. If we outwork ourselves today, we'll have strength for tomorrow and for the future and set an example for others. You don't have to go back to that wheelchair. You can keep living life without limitations. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? I spent 11 years building trucks in, in the automotive industry 
And although I took pride in working with my brothers and sisters in the union and building them, I knew that there was something missing because in my life, my purpose was about building people. Building people meant getting them back to the lives they were meant to be. Losing a limb is traumatic, but nothing is greater than finding out that you have no limitations. I had my first surgery, I was three months of age. And then I had surgery every six months until I was there. 11 and so much scar tissue was there. The foot was right here. This is actually my ankle. Wow. My foot was there and it was about that long from the lack of blood flow. It was dying. And so they amputated. All right, James, so today what we're gonna do is we're gonna take some measurements of your limb, then we're gonna cast your limb with plaster of Paris. After we cast your limb with plaster, we're gonna then transfer your limb into the tank Okay. We're going to fill that tank up with water, and the benefit of that is that you're going to be weight-bearing as this cast sets off. Um, and the point is that you have different tissue types that compress differently, and this tank is going to give you that shape under weight-bearing scenarios so that you know that your socket is custom-molded to you when you're standing on it. Um, once that cast sets off, we're going to take your limb out of the tank, we're going to take the cast off your limb, I'm going to fill it up with plaster, I'm going to do some slight modifications to it just so that we know that the fit's good. And then we're going to make a test socket. Perfect. This is called a test socket or check socket. This is what the, that created. There we Perfect. go. Perfect. Oh, great fit. It's a good start. That was easy. The most important thing to me is seeing that everyone gets to live their life without limitations. To have the opportunity to go after your dreams, your goals, and not be stopped because of your limb loss. I mean, this is what gets me up. This is what makes me go after everything that I do now. I don't want record books. I want to change lives. I want someone else to have what I didn't have. At the time of my amputation, there was no one there. There was no mentors. There was no one that motivated me. I had no one to turn to to ask questions. But at SRT, they've enabled me to be a part of a team, a team that's got practitioners, that has uh, rehab therapists, outpatient people, a full team that can take care of a full person's life. Because you gotta get back to life, you gotta get back to living. During the first two years after an amputation is the most depressing. But that is why you need a mentor. And I'm so excited to be a part of lives, to see them overcome. You matter. Thank you for choosing SRT. People ask me about my story, about how I lost my leg. Well, losing a leg wasn't a choice of mine, it was from birth. When I was three months of age, I began having a series of surgeries that culminated at the age 11. I was in Shriners Chicago's hospital for children, and that's when they amputated. The loss of my leg felt like a loss of myself. I can remember they were asking me, what will I become? What would you like to be when you're older? And everything that I said I wanted to be, I had people who tell me, you'll never be that. I've had a lot to try to overcome. Mostly, it was head trash, stuff that people told me about myself. And so I decided I would prove everyone wrong and decided to go out for every sport. The first sport I went after was basketball because I thought if I could just prove myself against those able-bodied kids, 
if I could prove myself against those that they thought were great, if I could somehow dominate those guys, if I could turn my passion and everything I wanted to be and show that I was equal to them, I would find validation, I would find acceptance. I would try it out for the team and I was cut. Not because I couldn't play basketball, but because they did drills that went lateral and that's where my movement was weak. The coach then had us do a mile and gave us a time in order to beat that. I wasn't prepared for it and, and so I failed. The way I was set up and the way I'm lined up, the way I live, I decided that every morning I would get up and I'd run a mile. Every morning I'd try to make that team. So the year comes around, the next year for me to try to make that team. And everything that he had used to cut me, everything that, that, that showed my shortcomings, everything that showed that I wasn't enough, that's what I perfected. And then finally, when it came time for them to make the team, the last day we're doing these drills, running back and forth, and man, I'm defiant. I will not bend over, I'm not gonna throw up, I'm not gonna quit. Every time he'd say, here's another time to run, he'd blow his whistle. I stood up and I put my hands on my hips in uh, defiance. And at that very moment though, when I was running one last lap, I dislocated my kneecap. It was like every dream I ever had got taste and taken away from me. It was ripped out of my hands, ripped out of my heart. That disappointment then, I thought was gonna be the end of me, but there was always somebody telling me I could be more and do more. And I'm thankful for those family members that were there for me. I buried all those, those dreams that night, that day. And then at 45, I decided I was going to wear shorts for the first time in my life, unapologetically. I wanted them to see that I, I had finally overcome all that head trash of what they said I couldn't be. So I began to lift, I began to run. I got my first marathon. I, I've done all these things because I'm no longer bound by the disability of what they said about me. I am an amputee. I am an athlete. I believe in everything that they've said about me. They said I couldn't be, and I decided I would be. There's more to you. This is how you build your house. This is how you overcome. You bottle up everything they say about you and you pour open that can of prove them wrong on everything you do. This episode wouldn't be complete if I weren't somewhere serving, being in the hospital. But I wanted to say thank you, my friend, for a wonderful episode. I'm amped up for life. Appreciate all you've done for all of us. Thanks for having me on. I want to thank James Superman Dixon for being with me today. Fantastic episode. My name is Rick Bonkowski. This is the Amped Up to 11 podcast, and I want to wish everyone health and happiness, and we will see you next time.